Welcome to 501c3BS, Deprogramming for Organizational Growth, sponsored by the Gianneschi Center for Nonprofit Research at the California State University Fullerton College of Business and Economics. This season, we are busting this 10 minutes at a time with a short 10-minute podcast. The Orange County Community Foundation has been dedicated to unleashing the power of philanthropy since 1989. They are the largest funder in Orange County and a leader among funders for the county and one of the largest community foundations in the United States. Todd is the vice president in charge of the Center of Engaged Philanthropy at the Orange County Community Foundation. Today, we're going to clear up all the myths surrounding funding, both from the funder side and from the organizational side. So let's get to some of the mythology of our sector having to do with funding and fundraising. Uh, One of the things that we hear a lot, and this was kind of debunked a little bit by some of our guests in our first season, is this myth that we don't have enough resources around. You know, we're we're living in one of the wealthiest countries in the world. You know, anyone who's making over $30,000 a year in America is in the top 2% of earners in the world. Um, So, you know, it's kind of funny for me when I hear people who are my peers talking about not having enough resources. And somebody in the first season, I think it was Heidi Gottlieb, um, made the mention of, you know, we have lots of resources, not necessarily money. And people don't often look enough at the resources they have around them that are not monetary. And I know in my work, I found a lot of that to be strategic partnerships, being able to partner with others so that both of us you know, get a high tide that raises all of our ships by working together on resources I don't have, they have, and vice versa, to work together to make us both better. Um, what do you, what's your kind of take on this thought that we don't have enough resources? Well, you captured it very well in the intro there, but um, I know people sometimes ask, like, you know, who are our competitors? And we, you know, because there's other similar organizations trying to compete for philanthropic dollars. And we say, well, no, our competitors in conspicuous consumption, you know, is people that want to buy a boat and an airplane rather than giving. And so, so you're right, there is so much out there and there's so many people that want to do it that they're not competing against a lack of resources, just tapping in the resources that exist. And as, as you mentioned, it's not always going to be a donor with a check in hand. It's going to be a partner that's going to strengthen your programs, help serve your clients also, you know, get more exposure to the issue that you're addressing. I guess the challenge is just that mindset. And But if you are creative and, and get out of the office and talk to people, then you're going to debunk that myth that there's not enough out there because, as you said, it is. It, you just have to, you know, be willing to find it. Right. You know, it's interesting what you said about, you know, sometimes the people that you're dealing with on the funding side of the table are people who are weighing their options between buying a new boat or a plane and giving to an organization a large sum of money. We're not really asking people for money. We're bridging their desire to give with an organization that they may be want to be affiliated with, right? And, and really kind of connecting them to our mission. You know, we're not always asking people for money, really, are we? I mean, aren't we really just trying to connect people who already want to give? Exactly. And what you just said ties into so much that I wanted to share today. Oh, good. In terms of just understanding the donor motivation. I think one myth or challenge out the misconception is that the donor right now that's giving $100 or $200 or $500 isn't worth investing a lot of time into because that's you know not a lot of money. That's not a big support for organization. However, I've seen so many of our donors that started with a small amount that bumped it up if the organization really demonstrated you know that 
what they were doing was in alignment with the values and mission and what that person wanted to achieve. So it wasn't about the zeros in the check, and it was about alignment of what they want to do. And the organization that builds that confidence is going to, you know, get that from the donors. Yeah, it's funny you say that because my wife and I, you know, had made a decision we wanted to give 10% of our income back um, years ago. And we started doing that through setting up a fund through a, a community foundation. And, um, you know, often we'll give a $500 donation to test out, to see what they do with it, how they react to it, see what their management's like, see if it's a, an organization we want to give more to. Now, we're not wealthy people. A big donation for us would be, you know, $2,000. But, you know, it's nice to kind of try it out through a trial balloon and then give something more. And I'm sure very wealthy people do the same thing, but on a much larger scale, yes? Yeah, very true. And also, I don't think it's a myth that information is out there of how much effort goes into bringing a new donor in, how easy it is to not get them renewed. And I don't really see very many organizations putting much effort into renewing, you know, donors, keeping them going forward. Yeah, that's and that's a big thing is donor retention, right? And the smaller organizations, they don't generally um, pay attention to it. They're so focused on getting in new donors. And, and I, actually, I kind of prefer the word funder because, you know, they're they're investing in an organization. But um, they bring in new funders and not necessarily thinking about what are we doing to pull the ones already involved into the mission more, getting them closer. Because it is true that I think as people get into the mission more, they tend to get more involved and give more without the ask even, right? Agreed. I had a fundraiser that I, I had applied for a job at one time as the CEO of, a, of an uh, arts high school's foundation. And the, the uh, pres- board president was a hospital fundraiser. And he was, you know, very much into the science of fundraising. And he asked me, you know, what are you going to do to move these targets closer to, um, you know, to give more money and, and move them up the chain? And I said to him, you know, if that's what you want, then I don't want this job because that's not what I'm interested in doing. I'm more of an art of fundraising guy where I feel like it's important to get people involved in the mission and then let them decide what's good for them. And I found that to be more effective. Am I wrong in that? I mean, is this kind of mythology that you have to target people and move them up the chain? Is that the correct way to go about it? Or, or, or is it just two different styles? Or what do you, what's your thinking about that? No, I agree with you. I don't see that style working any longer in general um, for most people because the way philanthropy is today is what you said is, is, is people that are, are really paying more attention to, you know, what's going on and, and what works. And so the science isn't moving up a ladder, but really connecting with them on, on why this is important and why it works. Yeah, because, I mean, the reason they're giving is they care about a particular issue, right? Maybe it's um, animal rights and they want to get dogs and cats neutered. And so they want to connect to a shelter. So they've already decided that in their head. If you're the CEO of the local shelter, your job is just to really get them feeling connected to the mission of your particular shelter. Maybe it's because it's no kill or maybe it's because you're doing something that reach out that other shelters aren't doing. And when they connect to that, they feel so good about what you're doing as opposed to other shelters, then they really want to give more on their own, I think, right? Oh, completely agree. And you know, one thing I like to share with nonprofits is when they're thinking about their funders and donors is to not think of them as a donor relationship, but as an individual relationship. I have this kind of 
new philosophy I've been developing that, at least for small organizations to mid-sized organizations, maybe it's not necessary to have a fundraising officer, quote unquote, as there always has been. I'm starting to come around to the idea that the people who write grants best are program people because program people design the programs and the grant is basically just a proposal for good design, right? So shouldn't, in my, in my new way of thinking that I've been kind of um, developing, I got to tell you, I'm not fully developed on it myself, but I've been thinking if program people are the best people to do um, grant writing and the CEO is, is the funnel which all funds should go through and really should be out there making the relationships for a small organization, um, and the marketing people should really be getting the story and the message out. If you have really good marketing people, a really good, devoted, active CEO who's networking and really good program staff, you may not need a fundraising person at your organization. What do you think about that? I agree 100%. Um, you just see my own, own situation. I ran a nonprofit for eight years. I raised over a million dollars a year and I had no fundraiser. <laughs> yeah. But I, I knew the program inside and out. I could talk about it. I could sell it. Um, and so that, that worked for me. And then when I'm evaluating an organization now that let's say is $300,000 and they're spending 60 grand a year on the fundraiser, that's a big chunk of the budget. You know, we're not seeing a return. And so you, I will wonder, well, why isn't that director just making this happen? They're going to have a lot more resources, you know, for the programs if they allocate it differently. And don't you think that that $60,000 might be better spent by having more? I mean, some of those people have a fundraiser and no marketing department. And wouldn't they be better spent that spending that to get more funding by having their story out there more in the community in better ways? Yeah, I believe for most organizations that would be a better investment of their resources. And also, if you do the the research on why do funders give, they give because they believe in the leadership, the people doing the work. So while fund development staff are amazing and they're helpful to have, that's generally not why we're supporting organization. And so the more that you can get the program staff and the leadership up front in the messaging and in the creation of, you know, the grants and outreach, I think the better success you're going to have. So what does make great fund development? Well, if you've been listening to this conversation, I can wrap it up by just saying, follow the mission. What you do in developing your funding for your organization is not so much about funding, but about developing the mission, which may lead to strategic partnerships, real wonderful relationships within the community that go beyond funding. It's all about relationships and relationship building, inviting those people that are stakeholders in your program to come and visit the program, see it firsthand, do site visits. Take them out to lunch, talk about the program, and invite them to meet staff. When it comes to great programs that deliver on the mission, it's all about getting people involved. When you pull people into the mission, you make them funders for life. Or they may also become volunteers or stakeholders of another kind, like a good strategic partnership. I hope this has been valuable for you. Thank you so much and have a great day. Thank you for listening to 501c3BS, deprogramming for organizational growth. I'm your host, Zoot Velasco. Check out my Twitter feed at 501c3BS, my webpage at zootvelasco.com, and my book, The First 100 Days, on Amazon. The music is provided to us from our good friends at the traditional Brazilian coro group, Grupo Falso Baiano and Amy Molinelli. Find them at grupofalsobaiano.com. Thank you for listening. Have a great day free from BS.